There's a famous quote that says, I'm not scared about AI, I'm scared of space travel. No, no. Creme brûlée. Thank you for coming all the way from the Netherlands. A lot of things I regret. First of all, to meet you. Some studies says the human brain is actually shrinking. I'm adding to the study, definitely yeah, backing yeah. up the theory. Yeah. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome back to the CX Insider podcast. Today we talk to Napo Cornejo, founder and director of GeoCapti, a tech company who innovates software solutions using satellites. We'll learn about current and future technological advancements that will change customer experience, like quantum computing and AI. Enjoy the conversation, and if you do, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for CX Insider's best content. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. All right, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Napo. It's a pleasure to meet you and have you on here. Thank you. To get started, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Pleasure to meet you. My name is Napoleon Cornejo. Rather unusual name, but I come from El Salvador and now living in the Netherlands. I'm uh, originally a software engineer, now the head of a company called Geocapti in the Netherlands, where I've been living the past 15 years or so. We work doing mostly scientific software, research software, engineering software, dealing with AI, quantum computing, aerospace, and other high-tech industries. Yeah, and that has brought me here today. Cool. Okay, so what? that's obviously quite a lot of uh, different areas that you're involved with there. What are some of the most exciting projects that you're working on right now? Or maybe something you could share? Yeah. So we are working currently, for example, in a project that processes large vol volumes of satellite data to detect soil moisture in Europe. So we wow. take data from radars that are in satellites. These orbit the Earth periodically, and we take the signals from this radar to say something about the moisture of the soil, in this case in Europe, because the soil absorbs these signals in different way when it's dry and when it's wet. And this information helps agricultural policies, conservation, etc. And the other project that maybe I can mention is one uh, that has to do with quantum computing. Here we are writing the software to control the smallest components of the quantum computer called qubits. So we help a research institute in the Netherlands to achieve that sort of control. And then besides that, we have other projects related to uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, some of which we are working with ACF. Mm -hmm. I used to think uh, quantum computers were just this kind of sci-fi dream, you know, something yeah. in the future. And uh, yeah. computing obviously has come such a long way from its inception. Could you share what a quantum computer actually is, what that means, what yeah. it's capable of? Yeah. So indeed, there's a lot of uh, a lot going on around quantum computers as they, but the idea actually comes back to the end of the 70s, early 80s. We didn't have the technology there, but that's when the theory really got started. A prominent physicist who talked about this idea was Richard Feynman. He won the Nobel Prize in Physics. He posed some of the first principles of quantum computing, how you could make computations with quantum mechanics. And now what we're trying to do is actually bring that into reality. So these quantum computers are composed at the very end of what are called qubits, which are the analogous of classical bits, which can store ones and zeros. But these qubits can store a myriad of other possibilities. Okay. And it's in that myriad of other possibilities that you can get the large amounts of computation. Of course, there are challenges making stable qubits and that don't fade away with noise is extremely difficult and probably that's the biggest challenge at the moment. That's where the software that we're writing right now comes in, in trying to control these qubits to keep them stable as long as possible so they can actually do something useful. What are some of the possibilities that it could 
bring to life in terms of achieving different computations? Yes, I think I, I should start by saying that there's a bit of misconceptions in terms of uh, quantum computing. Some people think that this will actually replace the mm -hmm. computers we use today. That's not true. It will be a complement to classical computers. So it will not substitute them, but they will be dedicating to solving very particular problems. Mm -hmm especially problems where you need to try hundreds or millions of possibilities quickly. Yeah. This is where quantum computing really excels. Because as I said before, a lot of possibilities can be encoded in a single qubit at the same time. Yeah. So the values that it can store at the same time are infinite in theory. And therefore you can search and compute with much more values in less time. So for example, optimization problems where you need to search a lot of possibilities, what's more optimal, what's mm -hmm. not, based on hundreds or even thousands of variables. Then quantum computing can be here to actually compute all these possibilities rather quickly, which a classical computer could take years to compute. Yeah. Um, machine learning, where you need to explore data, create models, taking into account thousands of variables or hundreds of thousands of variables or millions. Quantum computing can help there as well. These can further be applied in industries like finance, logistics, mathematical modeling, scientific research, etc., etc. And since it's a, you say it's a more of a complement to yes. uh, everyday computing, do you think it could be quite a practical thing uh, in the near future that although it won't replace uh, normal computers, it will be quite common or widespread? Not at the moment. Right now, it's quite experimental and very mm -hmm. new. And again, there are a lot of challenges to make it practical. At the moment, the only quantum computers that exist are in labs with yeah. extremely well-controlled temperatures that almost reach absolute zero. These need to be controlled and manipulated with lasers or microwave pulses. Wow. So it's all these big refrigerators just to store a tiny little chip, but it's <laughs> a, it takes a big refrigerator yeah. controlled with liquid nitrogen and so, wow. so forth to make it work. So at the moment, it's just experimental. They live in laboratoriums. It's not practical yet, but as all of technology, right? It mm. begins this way. Sure. Just like the first Current computers. computers began this way. Yeah, exactly. As very big building size computers, which then became smaller and smaller until you have a cell phone <laughs> yeah. in the palm of your hand. So technology starts this way. Quantum computing is just at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's rather expected that it is like this. As years go on and time goes on, I think there'll be good progress made. I cannot make predictions of when it will actually become that was gonna be my a, household, a household <laughs> item, but yeah. maybe practical yeah. uses are not that far away. Five, 10 years perhaps, still carried out in, in labs, but solving mm -hmm. already uh, important problems, yeah. right? So maybe not yeah. a household item, but maybe uh, businesses could start using it for exactly. improving their customers. Exactly. For so example. for example, cloud yeah. services, they could have their quantum computers in their own installations, right? And just hire it over the cloud to solve specific problems. That's how I think it'll start. It that's won't be a quantum computer in your house, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, maybe one day. That's, yeah. uh, that's really fascinating. Surely there's also quite a few risks that come with that post-quantum encryption. Yeah. Could you explore that idea and what it means and are there any potential risks? Yes. So as with every technology, of course, you could use it for either good purposes or bad purposes. Mm. I mean, you could say that of fire even. Yeah. So quantum computing is not the exception. One of the areas that's being explored is indeed encryption because current methods of encryptions are based on the fact that 
finding the solution to the encryption problem takes millions of years for a yeah. classical computer. There are just so many possibilities. Like with passwords. Yes, with mm -hmm. passwords, but this one even, even more difficult because they are mathematically complicated using numbers that are hundreds of thousands digits long multiplied with several operations and cycles. So you need to find the right uh, combination of these numbers to actually being able to decrypt the key. It's, it's extremely difficult and takes yeah. a classical computer millions of years to solve. But as I said before, with quantum computers, these qubits are able to encode a myriad of possibilities at the same time in the same qubit. Mm. So it's calculating all these possibilities at the same time, or at least in theory, is able to do that. Which means that guessing all these combinations of numbers and operations to unencrypt your key, basically in a brute force way, could be done realistically within a time that is actually threatening to your mm. uh, yeah. bank New account. New security uh, concerns. Yeah, exactly. That's why... Part of the research that's being done in quantum computing is what are the ways encryption can be enhanced to avoid this. So that's what we call post-quantum encryption. So encryption schemes that will be able to withstand the computations done by a quantum computer. That's a very real risk, isn't it, yeah. for us? And one that has to be solved because, like you mentioned there, banking people's money sits on top of technology yes. that utilizes what we what you're referring to there is like the sort of the current encryption whereas quantum computing would be able to solve that within yes. a short shorter time frame shorter right? time exponentially period. quicker time frame yes, let's say certainly or communications your whatsapp your yeah. signal messenger these are all based on the principles of encryption if these are broken then well, your communication is exposed. What do you think are the first uses of quantum computing that we will see? One of the, the, the first applications that's already going on is quantum communication, where you can really entangle two particles and actually make them communicate, qubits, entangle qubits. This communication is ultra secure. Right, because it's based on the principles of quantum mechanics. That means that an eavesdropper will disturb the state, making it impossible for the communication to go on further. So they are already testing the first quantum network to make this type of communication. And they are already deploying mm -hmm. the first prototype of this. And the other application that's already going on is modeling uh, molecules. For example, when you want to create a specific type of medicine, at the very molecular level, these are based on shape, how proteins fold mm -hmm. and how they match with each other and so forth. It is extremely difficult. It is a rather difficult problem to solve with a classical computer. Quantum computers, which already work with quantum principles that are the ones that play on the molecular level, they can solve these problems uh, much more easily. Okay, that makes wow. sense. So, yeah. And there's already papers and literature on how this could be solved, at least in theory, once these qubits are there and find out new molecules for therapies. This will come into play for finance, for example, calculating risks on real time using worldwide data and at every moment calculating your risk and knowing your risk position, mm. extremely valuable. Logistics problems on a worldwide level, shipping, commerce, these are all applications that are already being thought of. Space travel? Uh, space communications. Communications, okay. Travel, maybe not yet. Well, yeah, but space yeah. communications, I mean, the Chinese already have a satellite that uses quantum communication. A lot of applications coming in. Yeah, yeah. yeah watch, wow. watch this space. 
there is obviously quite a lot to explore with quantum computing. Having given an overview of its applications and challenges, now let's link back to a more familiar development. Artificial intelligence is also a huge piece of tech that's already changing the way we work. Personal assistants like Siri and Alexa have been around for a while, but services like ChatGPT and Dali are pushing the boundaries further. As both AI and quantum computing grow, how might the two intertwine? Can they be combined for even greater power and potential? So there are several ways in which this interaction can happen. So how can quantum computing aid AI is indeed because of the possibilities of computing with large amounts of data and the qubit being able to encode such a myriad amount of states and compute with them at the same time. So whereas a classical computer has to go through each state one at a time and compute the variables, optimize uh, neural nets, uh, adjust neural nets or mm -hmm. whatever, the qubits or a quantum computer could be doing this possibility at the same time, several several of them. At the moment, I guess, we're impressed with what we can see from chat, yeah. GPT and yes. technologies that use AI like this. And I guess what you're sort of saying there is that if you combine quantum computing with AI technology, yeah. we could see something exponentially yeah. even more powerful than what we already are <laughs> very impressed by. Yeah, impressible, yes. Take ChatGPT, for example. Yeah. ChatGPT, and you've seen the results, it produces text that is very human-like. I mm -hmm. mean, it's something like a human being could write. But at the very end, ChatGPT works on calculating probabilities based on a neural network that it's been properly tuned with a lot of text and examples and human-generated content. And after being trained, this massive neural network, which is about 175 billion parameters, it produces what you can That's see. Take into account the amount of resources to make all this computation, to do the training data, the time it takes. If you can already see that combination with other technologies, it's just going to get more and more impressive. Yeah. ChatGPT is just a neural network that's guessing the best next phrase or the best next word. Now, that brings a bit of a philosophical question, right? Because, okay, if that's the only thing that it's doing but produces human-like text, is that really like the way the human brain actually works then? Do yeah. we actually work a bit that way that we think about something and then try to guess what's the next likely follow-up to what we're saying? So it brings up all sorts of interesting questions beyond computer science yeah because it tells you doesn't it like i'm just an ai i don't really i don't have opinions but these are kind of the facts or this is what yeah. i can construe from the data and then yeah. you, you just have to kind of run with it and i suppose that's why that human layer of interpretation will always be there as a that layer on top i suppose with quantum computing coming into the conversation as well i feel like it's quite hard to actually imagine what the uses will be and how we will be using these technologies in the future 10 20 years ago you wouldn't have guessed you know what's going on now precisely it is great discussing the future of technology and how it will reshape the business world but the question of ethics looms in the background like some shapeless shadow because there are surely many benefits but it's also easy to grow anxious about the inevitable drawbacks of rapidly implementing this kind of tech so will humanity adapt in time or will we get left behind i think that human beings will adapt. AI can be a very powerful tool that could make our work more efficient if we learn how to use it properly. It can automate a lot of things to give us more time to actually do the creative stuff. Mm -hmm could substitute, I guess, some jobs. Others, it will make it more efficient. And humans will have to adapt to that. 
you don't see people working in telegraphs or in switchboards. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. New generations have to adapt. Yeah. There are new jobs where technology helps you become more productive. Um, you saw this letter put out by several companies or CEOs and scientists on having a moratorium on AI because now with ChatGPT, people are starting to get scared, could be damaging for humanity, but it's not realistic. Someone, somewhere, will continue to develop AI. A government, an organization, a single individual, individual in a, in a research institute. If you make a moratorium on AI, what you're basically saying is, okay, we'll pause so that you can get an advantage. Right? <laughs> yeah. What do you feel about artificial intelligence making decisions in more critical situations, like, like in healthcare, for example? Right. There's a lot of research on AI that interprets x-ray. And actually, in some cases, it comes to make a better diagnosis than actual specialists, but it also does make mistakes. And the problem is, can you hold the machine responsible for the life of a human being? Can you? Can you take it to court? Where is the liability? So AI is a tool to help us become better. And in this particular case, like healthcare, it should always be vetted by a human, a specialist, a doctor, or a counsel with the AI as an input, but not as the final decision maker. Yeah, probably is the morally best place for it to stay for now. Right, indeed. But take, for example, cases where there's no chance to do a review. Automatic driving, for example, in a car. Yeah. Whether you're in a situation where the car has to go somewhere and there's a person in front, but if you move it somewhere else, there's two persons on the other side. So, yeah. Yeah, it's that moral, What should you choose, yeah. right? Um, Stop the car, I suppose. Yeah, if, if that's <laughs> yeah. at all possible if or in possible, the highway yeah. or so forth. But even in the normal situation, if for some reason there's a mistake, there's a flop in the computer or whatever, and you run over someone, can you hold the machine responsible? Who's the responsible party there? Is it the maker of the car? Is it the software developer of the AI? Who is... Or is it the driver? Or is it the driver? So this is a bit more tricky Yeah. if there's a driver. But if the car is fully <laughs> autonomous, it's even more difficult. A question I'm always asking myself, which is, why don't we have technology where you can speak to me in Spanish and I can hear it in English and I can speak to you in English and you hear it in Spanish yeah. in real time. How far are we away from that technology? Actually, that's not far away. I, I've seen really? some prototypes of that. YouTube has automatic translation and there's already software that can synthesize voices out of text. Putting all those parts together, there are prototypes. Okay. I don't know of any commercial company that's, maybe there is, I just haven't noticed, but mm -hmm. I know there are prototypes of that. We're so used to it. Yeah. We don't see a miracle in it anymore. It's an everyday thing. But it actually took a lot of effort and a lot of research to get this translation software to get working. And I'm sure the same thing will happen to this voice synthesizers plus translation on real time. And so in a way, so. do you think that's maybe like encouraging or letting people learn languages less? Like, you know, because if you're trying to speak to someone, you have that technology that can just give you that instant access to that information. Do you think that takes away like the whole education and uh, learning aspect of learning a whole language? Because obviously learning a, a language and things like that are so beneficial to the brain, right? From like a wider AI perspective as well. Do you think like integrating all these automated technologies into society will have negative impacts? There are studies being done that says that the human brain, the size of the human brain has actually shrunk. Hmm. Human beings from 10,000, 20,000 years ago who had to memorize where was the tree for apples, where was the yeah. way to, to hunt. They, I mean, they knew their environment very well. All of these sorts of skills that they had to learn and be quick about them, which we don't need anymore. Yeah. We don't need anymore. So when you say about languages, indeed, I do think 
that because a lot of people learn languages out of necessity, they actually needed to speak another language, these technologies will take out that need yeah. out of the equation. So there's no real push or, or need to learn it. Mm. It's only if you, if you want it, but not really because you need it. And the same happens with other technologies. Take maps, for example. Yeah. yeah. Before Google Maps, to take the paper and actually know <laughs> how to read it, right? And look for the actual street and yeah. even orient it the right yeah. way to find your way around. Cooking, starting a fire, whatever. It all required skills and brain power. And that's why when you say, is it ha having an impact on the brain? Some studies says that, yes, the human brain is actually shrinking. It's a bomb shelter drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about the study on human brain shrinking. In what time frame was it done? It's uh, tens of thousands of years. No, it's not hundreds of years. No, no. It's it's tens of thousands of years, indeed. I think, I think it's shrunk over here more than anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm adding to the study, definitely backing up the theory. Yeah. I think there is that danger, though, isn't there? Like, yeah. if we don't use our brains because everything is done for us, then what's going to happen? Precisely, indeed. And I think that that's one of the drivers of this, this phenomenon, that we don't need to use all the skills that previous humans had to use. So all the sci-fi films are wrong. These aliens don't have massive heads. They have tiny heads. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Are we going to be walking around the future with these tiny Indeed. No, that's right. That's maybe. right. And let's bring the conversation home. How will quantum computing and artificial intelligence alter the customer experience? How will these things specifically impact the business world? And why should companies even care? Napo shares his thoughts on the new age of customer journeys. Yeah, you can easily imagine how ChatGPT will impact the chatbot technology, where you can train it with your own material, with your own marketing material, your own documents, your own history, and then produce a chatbot that actually has the knowledge to respond properly to questions made by customers. Imagine how many customers you can now answer questions to which before you needed a customer agent to be responding each of these questions, right? So, yeah, yeah. So that's already one big thing. The other is optimizing optimizing the customer journey, for example, estimating the proper attention times or who should handle his case, assigning the proper resources, having models that predict the demand of customer service as well. Mm -hmm. So all of these go straight into the applications of AI, could have a big impact in this industry. Everything I said about quantum computing that will actually make it even more powerful than mm. you can imagine already how this will change. And it's good to talk about the fact that you work with ACF Technologies today uh, with us on, you know, our own artificial intelligence technology and how yes. we're planning to help our customers and, and future customers transform customer experience using that technology. Do you see AI playing a role, not just yeah, in the customer facing side, but also in the back office side? So you know where operationally organizations yeah. are managing availability of resource, you know, back office decisions. Is Indeed. it there as well? Certainly, okay. certainly. Yeah. And that's one of the things we work on, optimizing processes. AI can build models based on previous history and previous results to find out what are the proper variables to make a decision. Who should take a hold of a case? What resources you should assign to a certain amount of cases? Yep. Predict the resources you will need for that day. Optimize the scheduling of doctors, nurses. That all happens in the, in the back end. It doesn't ha happen on the face of the customer. It really makes his experience much more enjoyable, more efficient, with less burden. It really, it really makes an impact 
if, if we think about what great customer experience means, especially in the future, and I think we're working towards it, customer engagement with any organization, customers want to engage on the channel at the time in the means that they feel is best for them. You know, and it's sometimes it's in person, sometimes it's via chat, could be via video. I feel like the future is only driving in one direction, which is that customers are going to be more demanding on what they want and yeah. they're going to get exactly what they want. And maybe technology like AI is going to be the only way for an organization to deliver that expectation i think it's indispensable there won't be a way around it companies that really want to provide an enhanced customer experience should embrace these and become familiar with it and learn to use them okay these peripheral very advanced technologies quite commonly it's engineers talking to engineers taking that conversation and converting it into business language and business benefits for customer experience how does an organization go about that it's a million dollar question yeah. uh, for engineers, it's really difficult to communicate with non-engineer, with commercial people, with marketing people, because we're used to speaking in the language of equations, software, algorithms, functions, files. That's the language we speak with. It's a very deterministic, concrete, static language. Commercial people, marketing people, they deal with other human beings. If an organization really wants to take a leap in these new technologies, which they should, they should embrace them uh, because the world is moving in that direction. They should really strive to get people that can serve as a bridge between these two worlds. Having people that can bridge these two worlds is an extremely, extremely valuable asset. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to full-length videos and YouTube shorts. You can also like, share, and comment on the episode to keep the conversation going. And be sure to check out cxinsider.com for more content. Now, if you wish to join our growing community of thought leaders, head over to LinkedIn and follow us at CX Insider Podcast to stay updated. Thanks again. I've been Marcel, and I will see you in two weeks. But for now, enjoy our rapid-fire questions. By the way, this podcast has been brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. So my first question is, what is your favorite thing about your job? Working with scientists, because I learn a lot from, from them and the science. Yeah, I'm sure that's really fascinating, especially for yeah. someone who understands what they're saying as well. Well, to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. I still have my questions, but it's it's fun to engage with them and see what they're working on. And they're, they're really at the cutting edge of knowledge. Yeah. Is there anything that uh, you've like regretted buying the most? A lot of things I've regretted buying. Probably a bed, the cheapest that I could find, in, but it was really, really bad. So <laughs> I really regretted that. I should have invested more in that bed. Yeah, invest in your sleep. Yes, definitely. exactly. If you could transform into any animal, what would it be and why? It definitely would have to be a bird. I'd like the freedom of flying. Maybe an eagle, perhaps. And what's your favorite dessert? Creme brulee. I love it. Nice, straight answer. We can tell it that it is true. Yes, <laughs> At the top of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you could interview anyone dead or alive, who would that be? Isaac Newton, probably. Just being able to tell him what has happened mm. since his theory of gravity, I think it will blow his mind. Do you think, yeah, do you think he could comprehend anything? I think he could. The way, the story of how he came up with his theory of gravity is, is really impressive. So I, I think not only understand it, but he would be just fascinated. Mm. Favorite holiday destination? That I still haven't gone to is Nepal. I want to go to Tibet. I want to see the Himalayas with my mm. own eyes. Would you climb any of them? No, I'd probably die if I try. <laughs> I don't have the training. And, uh, <laughs> skip that. I'll skip that. <laughs> just, as just long as I can see it. Yeah, appreciate it from afar. Yeah, yeah, it from afar. 
I mean, they say even getting to Camp Zero is already a massive effort. Mm. Yeah, to, get it yeah. Far, it's fine. so I look it from afar. <laughs> Great. Any other questions from you guys in the audience? <laughs> what scares you the most about AI? What scares me the most about AI? There's a famous quote that says, I'm not scared about AI, I'm scared of people. People, they actually make decisions that impact on the way we use technology, right? They are the final decision makers on how this technology is used or how is it overseen or what are the regulations. And if that's not done properly, mm. then that can have an actual impact, not only in the company, but also in the country. I'm more scared of people than of AI. Mm.